welcome everybody back to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Um, today we have Nina Power. Um, I think it's probably worth saying to Nina because I you you are not on Twitter, but maybe you were at one point. Um, y- yes, uh, I I have an account which I follow people on, but I don't post anything because okay. it's driving me there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. So. Um, so to, to sort of explain for Nina and maybe new listeners, Doomer Optimism is this sort of meme that emerged um, on Twitter among people who are sort of exploring, I don't know, just like ways, positive ways to live despite all the doom. Um, and so um, mostly we've been focusing on things like, like environmental issues or agriculture, um, but I've just been in these circles with, with really brilliant women and men thinking about issues of like relationships and culture and like how are we supposed to be as humans in in family and and all of these like sort more intimate parts of our lives um and so i i then i started going down this ivan illich rabbit hole i found you on youtube which like your analysis of illich has made it really accessible to me um and then i was like okay i just need to talk to nina if there's like no other option really as a first step here um if i can get her and i'm so glad you came um so first i'll just let you briefly introduce yourself and your background and then i'll talk a little bit about the structure of the conversation oh yeah okay sure i'm well thank you for the invitation and uh some nice nice words (laughs) from you um yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm a writer. I was an academic for about 13 years. Um, I, I, I taught philosophy. I still teach philosophy at adult education um, level and also in this kind of brave new post-academic, para-academic world, mm. which uh, many of us are, are sort of living in now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I sort of found myself, I suppose, maybe this relates to the Illich thing, becoming more and more deinstitutionalized yeah. and sort of unable to operate in institutions and I think this is true of almost everybody I spend time with now um and it's it's not a criticism of people who who have to work in institutions but I I think um at least for me I I I just I there are so many things about it that I was unable to to kind of deal with both like physically and mentally and I had a kind of like breakdown uh stroke breakthrough <laughs> as RD Lang <laughs> might put it um like a real proper uh midlife crisis which is very uh interesting um and I sort of decided I couldn't go on in this way um I was also kind of suffering from other things like uh like a sort of alcohol issue and just everything was wrong and um so yeah I I guess I'm a writer so I I had this book out recently called what do men want with penguin Mm -hmm. um which is um uh, maybe to go with your demo optimism thing, which is, it, I, I think, probably a demo optimism book. Yeah, totally. Totally, <laughs> I read it. I read it. Yes. Um, it right. If I understand the concept, right. So, like, I, it, I think the book is is quite optimistic. Actually, I think it's it's trying to diagnose um, the situation we're, we're in vis-a-vis how, uh, well, in the first place, how men are being portrayed, which I think um, for me has. Uh, shifted in a very negative direction which has nothing to do with this kind of old left which I, I feel like I was a part of which was much more like sympathetic and compassionate and to something kind of much more antagonistic and divisive um, and I'm very influenced by people like Ivan Illich you mentioned um, but also kind of people who I think are being 
uh, more and more cut out of contemporary academia in many ways. So people like um, Adi Lang mentioned or, or Bataille or some of these kind of more liminal figures. Um, and yeah, I suppose just trying to think about where we are in a, in a sort of more realistic and reasonable way, like through the madness um, yeah. and try to think about alternative ways of being together. So for Illich, this would include like ideas of conviviality, um, I'm very interested in like the dialogue as a philosophical mode, like a very ancient mode of, of speaking and being with being with somebody, um, you know. And I think all of these things have been kind of eroded in the academy as it exists, yeah. Which is, um, you know, just incredibly corporate, like this debt making machine. Like it feels unethical to work really, uh, institutions. And I was I was very involved in like the um, free education movement, like the student movement. Um, like a, now over 10 years ago in the UK. Um, and obviously we kind of lost that battle, which had a, a kind of very negative knock-on effect, I would say on the left. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm kind of interested in, in thinking about these like alternatives, but in a real sense, like not in this kind of utopian way in which it's basically impossible to get there, but more like, what can we do now? Like yeah. whether we're in the midst of collapse or or not it's like <laughs> what can we do now yeah right exactly so, that is that is to so that's totally the project here um and <laughs> it's like it's basically i think increasingly post left because it's just sort of like the left the left sort of just leans well i, I think there's probably a, a utopian project on both sides but the left sort of leans into this utopian politics like either it's perfect um it's this perfect thing that we've determined in advance or um, or you can't do it or it's rot or something yeah. like that. So I think part of what I, I'm trying to do is like get into the nuance and messiness um, of real life um, on this. So, um, okay, so the structure I had in mind for this is um, inspired by Mary Harrington, somebody I, I consider a growing from an acquaintance to friend of mine. Um, and I was in a chat with her and we were talking about um, what is what is a female Chad? Um, <laughs> and we were right. like, and and um, the women in the chat were sort of like struggling with this, like, what is a female Chad? Because the male Chad, you, it's like pretty clear. It's like this big, strong guy, tough guy, whatever, um, you know, um, extremely masculine. And then we're like, well, Mary comes back with this insight. It's there are there's not one female Chad. There's three. It's the maiden, the matriarch, and the um, no, the maiden, the mother, and the matriarch. Um, mm -hmm. And women have these distinct phases in life. Um, and the and and I think then we got into this discussion about how um, probably consumerist society wants to make all women into the maiden Chad. This, uh, against their own wishes and so then the whole goal of being a woman in society is to be this maiden chad forever um anyway so the reason that i bring that up is i think it i what keeps coming up in the doomer optimism community and like you know people adjacent people trying to figure things out right now is um like what is our vision for mm -hmm. women or relationships or the relationship between men and women through the life course. And I think the life course would be a good model for this conversation. And maybe we can like, yeah. we can go through thinking about um, maybe starting in adolescence because 
and then going through maybe like uh, date, the dating world and, and marriage and family and maybe, um, you know, matriarchhood and, and older age. Um, because I think for me, what's really, really useful is to give people a con concrete examples of the ways to be, you know, like how, how what, what is a vision we could put forth for adolescents that that doesn't have these pathological um, reactions to, you know, being a, being a woman or being a man. And, um, you know, I think uh, the other thing I wanted to, to just like highlight before we get started on that project of this conversation is um, people are sort of interested in the doomer optimism world and other people I see, they're like trying to grasp at um, what are traditional ways of doing things let's learn from those traditions and um, mm -hmm. maybe pull from them. And we do have the benefit of like having, having done all this history and all of this anthropology and, and like knowing so much about traditional cultures, um, but without, without necessarily pulling every single thing like from tr the trad world, <laughs> you know, maybe there are some things to leave behind. So to keep in mind, like, you know, maybe as we're talking to say, you know, here's a model um, that's traditional that I like that appeals to me, but maybe we don't want this part of that <laughs> traditional culture to bring into the modern world. You know, like there is a way I think to navigate these things in a modern context, um, you know, keeping those things in mind. So anyways, um, let's, I think let's start with adolescence. Um, and mm -hmm. I think, I guess like, let's just start talking about, um, you know, what what is, what is an appropriate, you know, way to start thinking about adolescence in our modern world um, differently than um, the way things seem to be going right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, no, that, that all makes sense um, to me. It's like, I think one of the major things, and I talk about this in the book, I mean, particularly in relation to men, but, but let's talk about women as well, like, is this kind of de-ritualization of society. Like, you know, we don't have these kind of markers that you would have with like a traditional society or religious society. So like things like adolescence are not really marked in any particular way. And they're often, I think, increasingly experienced as a kind of horror, as if you're the only person in the world who's ever gone through this. Whereas I think a, a culture that was more wise would um, in the first place, I think, as as even quite recently, you know, I like I I'm older, like I'm in my 40s, like in the 90s when I was a teenager, it was like life was definitely hard. Like you understood that life was difficult, that adolescence would be kind of potentially unpleasant, but it was unpleasant for everybody. And something about that kind of rational, wise understanding actually helped you personally deal with it. Yeah. Whereas I yeah. think now this kind of individuating quality of this culture means that I think particularly girls um, but boys in a different way too like experience like the trauma of adolescence um, as, as something like a need to escape from it right so I think obviously we, we you know in the 90s uh, girls um, you know had eating disorders right there was self-harm now I think we have the kind of transgenderism as this kind of um, you know this almost this desire to like escape your body you know that the idea that it's so horrible to, to have this body because of the implications in terms of uh, sexuality um, and so on that like oh if you don't identify with this particular image of womanhood then you must not be a woman somehow mm -hmm. you know so I, I think um, like everyone needs to chill out <laughs> and and like accept that adolescence is is kind of a terrible time for everybody but there's a way in which like in a community way or a family way that people can be supported through it and, and part of that might almost be to to celebrate it in a way you know to mark 
the occasion. Um, okay, this might be like a bit embarrassing or something like that, right? I think if you're a teenager, you don't want anything like that, maybe. But but to 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 not kind of, as you say, pathologize something which is actually a very normal, well, of course it's a normal process, right? Like it's something that everybody goes through, um, you know, it's like a marker of adulthood. Um, and I think it, it has to be understood in a positive way. Otherwise people are just gonna, you know, yeah, become incredibly unhappy and upset and, and potentially make decisions about their bodies, which are kind of irreversible or very dangerous. Right. And I think if I might riff with you, um, two things come to mind. Um, when I, when I studied abroad in Italy, I saw groups of boys and girls, um, who are, you know, adolescents, young teenagers, just together in a big group, um, hanging out together. And I really liked that model. The Italians told me it's like group dating at that mm -hmm. age. And like, you know, people, the, 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 the sexes are learning to like navigate each other together in one big group. And there was some cohesion there. I think that was really good. Um, another thing I can think of as a model, um, I went to this Catholic school in Chicago growing up and um, we had retreats. It was an all girls Catholic school. Um, mm -hmm. And we had retreats every year culminating in the senior year retreat, which was called Kairos. And it was like, it was, um, a, a, you know, we, we went away, it was secretive. You didn't know what was going to happen. And when you got there, there were like student leaders chosen by previous students. Um, and the student leaders would sort of tell so, some issue you know some story from their perspective of like what's difficult about being an adolescent basically mm. and then we would all just talk in smaller groups about it and then um get back together and and sort of uh debrief in the larger group and that was a profound experience for me in thinking like i'm not alone you know this is normal mm. everybody else is struggling with this um as like a peer-to-peer -peer network um, and it was transformative for everybody, every student, and everybody sort of know, knew Kairos was this amazing moment. Oh, and you also got, a, you didn't know this, but you got letters from all your family and friends, you know, mm. as you're ready to like grow into being an adult, like we're so proud of you, who you've become as a person, you know, we're, you're, we're all 17 year olds, like reading this crying and um, those kind of rituals, I think are possible yeah. to recreate in the modern world. Yeah, no, no, I, th I think that's right. I mean, that sounds like a really thoughtful thing to do. And I, I mean, I think, you know, in the UK, we definitely didn't have anything like that at a state uh, state school. And right. I mean, it's 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 interesting you bring up the kind of mixed sexes group because it's like, at the moment, I'm really going back and forth on like single sex schools because yeah. I it's like, you know, my, like my education was, was mixed, mixed education. And, you know, I have a lot of male friends when I was younger and, and now as well. And but in some ways, there's a kind of crisis, I think, that's happening, which is to do with the, the maybe like the overmixing of the sexes, which is something I try and talk about a bit in the book. But it's also something that Illich talks about as well in the gender book, which is in a way like the kind of lack of separation of spheres creates almost like a single sex that everybody is <laughs> um, like we've become more like brother and sister. Um, and I think there's a kind of part of the crisis that's happening maybe among younger people at the moment is, is partly to do with sexuality and in the sense that it's difficult to handle becoming like a sexual being, having sexual feelings. And I was just reading my diaries from when I was 13 and, you know, I kept them all and they're just like a nightmare. You know, it's like <laughs> teenagers are like in this terrible state of being and they're so distracted from schoolwork. And, you know, schools in the UK are having a kind of a big, big 
crisis at the moment around things like sexual harassment. And certainly there is a way you could describe some of the interaction between boys and girls at school in that way. We never did at the time, but I wonder in retrospect whether there was something not quite okay <laughs> in some ways. Like it's certainly now in a more kind of um, anxious age, I think certain, certain normal teenage behaviors are now perceived to be sort of not okay, if you see what I mean. And I wonder, yep whether um, we might be heading towards a kind of re-separation of the sexes at mm. the level of education and, and what that might mean. Um, so I don't know, this is just something that's that's been on my mind. Yeah, no, lately, I, 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 I don't. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know either, but I, I could just speak from my experience, like going to this all girls high school. Mm. Um, I found it lovely. I mean, it was like we we wore uniforms, which I'm maybe some people would say was is horrible, but everybody basically agreed like this was so nice to not think about what you had to wear every day, to not put makeup on, to not be so distracted in your studies, and to and I think also I probably became like a sort of more outspoken female um, because I was among peers who are all female, and and I didn't have to fear like maybe not maybe embarrassing myself in front of a crush or something like that in high school like in the context of learning um i can imagine because of the anxious age we're in and like the the at least in the us too the very litigious society um that mm. like separating the sexes could just lead to a new uh, like a sort of renaissance of um like, you know, I, I think we'll get into this throughout the life course, but a renaissance of recognizing the difference and, and like the complementarity of difference. Yeah, I, it's, it's it's a very interesting question, you know, and it, it's it's difficult for me to say as well, because like, you know, my friends when I was a teenager were boys, like I, I enjoy things that the boys did, or at least, or at least a certain kind of nerdy boy. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so it's difficult for me to say like, oh, it would have been better, you know, had I gone to an old girl's school or something, but I... But you could I do still hang out with people outside of school. Yeah. I mean, that's how it went with the, the girls' school. I mean, during school, we're with all girls, and then there were dances and social activities. And of course, we we mixed at that time. And so it was yeah. just like a sort of separation where, yeah, where like the socializing time is maybe mixed, and then the the education time isn't. I mean, I don't, I, I see strong arguments for, for something like that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, again, it's this kind of like I, I talk about this heterosocial world in the book, you know, the fact that we're basically compelled to mix yep. all the time, you know, right. in work, in school and, you know, in everyday life. And there, there are positive aspects to this, you know, and it's not it, it shouldn't be seen in a sexual way right like it's not not everything is heterosexual but we <laughs> but everything is mixed yeah <laughs> um you know in our everyday interactions like sex is there as part of our as sex as in biological sex as part yeah. of our encounter with the world you know and and sometimes it, I suppose it's like you know Eilich talks about the sad loss of gender and he uses gender in this slightly strange way but but almost like the separate spheres you know like there's no longer separate spheres in modernity you know basically men and women more or less do the same kinds of things um, or increasingly particularly in kind of um, highly industrialized economies or post-industrial economies we would say I suppose yeah um and there's something that there's something of the that yeah like you say that the complementarity of difference or the like the frisson of difference or the sort of beauty of difference mm -hmm. that is maybe like lost in that kind of proximity you know, when, when men and women are together, like all the time <laughs> and expected to act exactly the same and uh, have the same rules. And then, then I think it comes out in something like, um, dress codes 
in school where it's like the boys don't have a certain length of short that they can wear but the girls do and they're like well obviously there is some difference here um and then people say something like oh that's sexist or whatever but you know mm-hmm. you know like it's just recognizing that there is difference and um yeah i think that and it's also very complicated i wonder if you have a thought on sex education at all oh gosh um <laughs> <laughs> yes i i uh uh yeah, i don't know where i stand on this honestly because i've no, read about, i mean it's difficult i, I yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I, you know, I think we live obviously in a highly sexualized culture. I think, I think, you know, there's all kinds of like really disturbing things going on in terms of, um, you, you know, the sort of prevalence of adult sexuality, right, yeah. increasingly into children's purview. And I, I'm definitely not in favor of like um, <laughs> a, a liberalization of, of, um, I, I don't know how to put it, like the exposure to sexual imagery, for example. I mean, I'm, I'm increasingly against pornography. I think uh, apart from the material damage it does to, to people involved, I think what it does is also destroys the imagination. And I think it creates a feeling of shame. And, and some of the interesting research I did in the book was around like the no fat movement where young men in particular are kind of, you know, n- realize that they have a problem with the addictive quality of pornography and widespread availability and they they seek to band together to kind of support each other in stopping using it um and yeah and, and it's so interesting and revealing i think how many people on the sort of liberal left are so pro pornography like they as if it's just some sort of automatically good thing and should be celebrating you know and it's natural and normal and i actually don't think it is i, I think it's destructive as i say of the capacity to to imagine and to fantasize which are actually part of what it means to be human and I think if you're just filling your your head with images that don't belong to you you, you're actually destroying that part of yourself which also is involved in bonding with other people right you know so that you know so I think there's it's very destructive in ways that I think the liberal position doesn't really understand it just sees it as kind of free expression and whatever or or you know oh desire is good because it's desire and desire is good or something you know some sort of tautologist stupidity um but not all desire is good and and I think you know talking about older forms of wisdom I think people used to have a different understanding of liberty which was liberty is not the freedom to do anything you like but it's actually the freedom not to be bound by your desires which is to say to be in control of them Mm. so that you're not at the mercy of your every whim or your desire to eat too much or whatever or to have sex or you know like you're actually in control of your like that's what freedom is it's freedom from being controlled um including by yourself if you so i mean whereas i think the the sort of post 60s liberal model is is no desire is just good and anything you feel like doing you should do up until the point of the law right basically right um which is terrible so i i think yeah so so i i i don't know i mean on the sex education thing i mean i suppose i'm increasingly well i'm in favor of reality right i think (laughs) you know children should be sort of taught about their bodies in a way that is um neutral and and positive which is so that 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 to hopefully avoid people feeling you know uh pathologically internal and individuated and weird insofar as possible to stop that you know to feel to feel normal to feel healthy um to be encouraged to be healthy I think probably if I if I was 
starting a society from scratch I'd sort of make everyone do yoga like from the moment they they could <laughs> it's something that's like I only started doing about four years ago but enormously changed my life right so I'm a kind of evangelist for that I think that would be really cool like kids should learn Latin they should do yoga you know like this kind of like super I mean Chad in a way like <laughs> like all of the best bits of all the traditions from all yeah. over the world I love like, that yeah. that would be really cool <laughs> um but yeah I, like what's the rush I don't think there should be a rush into um in, you know um exposing children towards um sexual sexual imagery or sexual thoughts at all like I think it's you know that already happens like too much and too soon and 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 I think we do have to like be careful like there are people out there who like want to do terrible things yeah yeah <laughs> um, and I think we, I think one of the things that's sort of being eroded in some of these discussions is stuff around intuition, like like the idea, you know, like women do have a sense when like a man, for example, is like behaving in a way that's a little bit like creepy or a bit worrying. And I think asking women to override those sorts of feelings is like very negative part of our culture. Totally. Um, and I, I think we have to like trust in our feeling if we think that somebody is not okay or they're in a bad state or whatever. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. That sounds good. I mean, my own, my own approach, I have three girls and my own approach so far, I mean, my oldest is only eight, so I haven't gotten into the thick of it yet, but my approach has been to be extremely forthcoming um, when questions arise about the mechanics of it all. Um, and then to be extremely limiting on any sort of like cultural over-sexualization images. So it's like yeah. liberal in one sphere and very conservative in the other. Um, it's been okay so far. We'll see how it goes once they get into the real, the real serious years. Um, okay, so let's move on to the dating world. Um, you know, the dating ages. I think there's just there's so much pathology happening here. I think the the main overarching one that it seems like everybody's experiencing is the like consumerization of dating, mm -hmm. which is just horrible. And I think everybody is, everybody's turning against it. And I wonder, yeah. I know there's different experiments out there. I wonder if we could reimagine or envision, um, I talked to, I don't know if you know um, Joe Norman at all, but he's like, you, you shouldn't imagine you should, he's like, he's against this word. It's like, he's like, it's too utopian. Uh, you can't imagine things in advance or whatever. But I think like just riffing on what potential possibilities for dating could look like that aren't this <laughs> oh sure well I think I just I I you know I, I would defend the imagination as something possible in the present right like I don't yeah. you know I, I don't think imagination is utopian I'm precisely like almost taking it away from the the I don't know the overly sexualized imagistic culture but yeah I, so I so I don't know I mean in, in my book I have this defense of risk and openness um which is to say you know like people used to meet each other more randomly right like people used to meet each other at work now people are quite men especially are quite rightly worried about being hauled up on some hr charge if you dare to like look at somebody for more than two seconds yep. whatever i mean so you know so that's all become like very paranoid and locked down and then it, it looks like the only way you can do it is through the computer and therefore everything's mediated um, but this this is horrible. Like it's like you know you're you're not opening yourself up to random encounters with people that you might disagree with for one thing, but you might actually be attracted to in other ways because like you know you're you're screening people in a way like from their views and everything like 
Um, so yeah, and I agree with you that I, the more I talk to people about these sorts of things, they're, they're increasingly in the position that you're, you're describing, like they just the commodification, the, the, you know, the self having to put yourself out there in this kind of meat market way, like people are really feeling that sick of this and revolted and that, that I think it's very eroding people's souls, you know, to be, to have to operate in this way. And so, so I think, yeah, in terms of positive alternatives, um, I think basically like someone, someone asked me, I mean, I, I don't know anything about dating by the way, but like <laughs> someone, it's one of these um, manosphere men that like, interviewed me about the book and he asked me this sort of question about dating and, but he's much more in the kind of like pickup artist sort of almost arena. And, and I was like, oh, how, go to church. You know, like, <laughs> this is how, he was like, how do people meet you? I was like, go to church. I don't know. I mean, but, like, I traditional think. ways of doing things. <laughs> but I do honestly think like if you go out there and do like an evening class or like, you know, some local community activity, like local gardening, church, parish stuff, you know, that also you're far more likely to meet someone who's also outside of themselves, you know, like someone who's more interesting, more engaged that's not so like caught up in the idea that they must have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, which is what the dating app presupposes, obviously. So I, I don't know, it's that kind of openness, but also like maybe more like localism as well. Like totally. wherever you are, like, you know, there are people around you who are like really interesting and you just haven't met them yet. And yeah. <laughs> and I think the only thinking, well, at least when I was dating, which was, you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s, um, you know, the only idea that you could meet only, you could meet somebody only in a bar or something like that, as opposed mm -hmm. to like a more wholesome, and I'm thinking back to these Italian teens, like this more wholesome, like yeah. I'm just hanging out with these people and they're adjacent to my friend group and there are other activities I'm involved in and um, the randomness and the chance, like, I think, I think in general, we need to revolt against this standardization of every aspect of our lives by, yes. by bu bucking it and taking risks and being, and, and, and saying like, you know, screw that. Like, I'm not going to be forced to commodify myself. Like I hate this. And instead I'm just going to go out, be in the world. Um, that also makes you feel like it builds up your social skills. I think the other thing is like, mm -hmm. these people are, you know, I think just stuck behind a screen. And then when you get to the date, it's already so predetermined what the relationship is supposed to be. And either it is or it isn't as opposed to like this confusing middle ground, which is like fun and, and like risky and, and unclear, you know? Yeah. It's all about like do, doing things you wouldn't normally do and uh, getting away from this commodification. And I totally agree when you said about this, um, the word homogeneity, you know, like that's, that's the worst thing. It's like everyone becoming the same, everyone thinking the same thing, you know, this is a terrible world. <laughs> this is like a world of, conformism and you know the elimination of like character and personality and it's like if we love somebody we love them because they're strange or because they're unique in some way you know it's like we love their character you know and if everyone's basically the same then there's you know it's harder to like find that sort of kernel of of them you know totally and I think um yeah and I think the other thing is like I think a lot of people in general feel like they like have no choice with regard to these different institutions. Like they do the dating apps and then complain about them. And I, and I think part of like, at least what I'm trying to get out there is like, you, okay, I know agency is extremely limited in some capacities, but but there is still agency. Like you still could choose to date another way. Like just because other people do it, like, yeah, maybe you have access to the entire 
meat market on this app, but maybe, you know, the person who's not using the app is like another interesting person who's probably more interesting because they refuse to go down that path and to be institutionalized or whatever. Um, so yeah. I, I think like without being too bootstraps about it, like just engage with your agency. Okay. So another um, <laughs> sub question I have that I think can run through the uh, ages, but I really wanted to hear you speak about is the, is the um, topic of male and female friendship. Mm. And um, I think that there's this weird pathological response to male, female friendship, like, oh, you can't have a friend without like wanting to, or be attracted to them, you know, like, or eventually it turning to sex or something like that. Um, but I do think that there are models in the past of relationships across the sexes. And I think like thinking about the dating world and maybe even through like marriage and older life, like you can have friends outside of your gender. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, in the first place, there are obviously lots of women who have gay male friends, you know, this is kind of a classic model. Um, I think um, it, it, it can be tricky. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I do think that if you, if you're a straight woman or a bi woman or whatever, and you, or a, a, with a straight man, you, and you spend a lot of time together, uh, you know, the question of sex will kind of uh, announce itself at some point. Of course, it doesn't mean that it's like a, will happen or whatever. And I, I sometimes think some of the best friendships between men and women are between um, uh, people who who at some point had a sexual encounter, but it wasn't gonna be, if you see what I mean. So like yep. they've, they've, got it, they've got it out the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that it's no longer an issue and you can, and just, but but I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is tricky. I mean, but I, I don't like the argument that it will or that it's not possible, right? I think, I think it's, I think it is possible. I think um, it's it depends on your particular situation in some ways, though. Like I think, for example, you know, I'm not married and I don't have children, right? It's a deliberate kind of choice, and I wouldn't sort of generalize that for everyone. Like I think, you know, I I want to live in a world in which people feel really encouraged to have children, and I think especially in places like the UK at the moment, a lot of younger people are feeling really. Um, like it's really difficult to have children, you know, for economic reasons, they don't have somewhere solid to live, they don't have enough money, you know, lots of boomers are increasingly uh, not will willing to support their grandchildren and so yep. on, I'm hearing these stories, which is really shocking to me, my, my parents are not like that with my brother, my brother has two children, they are very, very supportive, but I'm hearing these stories, like, which are really alarming, like they're kind of pushing this liberal individualism, so that the even the family ties like this duty towards your grandchildren is being kind of like denied or yep. you know it's like you know people saying oh it was your choice to have children you know yeah. we don't have so you're it's on like, your own now yeah that's yeah I, so I think so I you know I think it, it, it's different depending on kind of who you are I think if you were um, married there might be good reasons for having rules around like who you see and how you know in some way but I think it, it's got to be an open matter of honest discussion right like what the boundaries are I you know and I think I think it's uh really important to have like both parents if possible you know mutually involved in bringing up children you know and I, I don't think it's kind of um negative or normative to say like it might be normative to say that I suppose but it's like saying um, those these are the values that we would like to inculcate and we should celebrate them and respect parents where they've made that decision and I think our society and our culture doesn't really respect um, fathers and mothers very much like as these positions you know like they're not celebrated enough 
um, you know, and I say that as someone who's who's not maternal, you know, and I, but I think I think women like me should be rare. <laughs> I don't think I'm the model. Like I'm not the model. I shouldn't be the model for for that. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. I, so, yeah. I wouldn't generalize. I wouldn't want to, in a Kantian way, like universalize from my behavior because I don't think I'm correct. If you see what I mean. <laughs> um i think but there, there, is, be but there is a model for your your person too you know like the 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 aunt or the matchmaker or you know there yeah. you know there is some uh, that, that that plays a useful role in society yeah for sure and i, I think that you know a, an organized society does allow room for that like you know in a more religious society you have monasteries or nunneries or you have you know like i, I don't know like women who are more like high priestesses or, or witches, not necessarily in a bad way or whatever, you know, or, or like there should be, or for, for uh, women who are particularly scholarly or, you know, like the, the or men too, you know, like, or, or hermit, hermit-like or whatever, like a, a healthy society like permits a range of behaviors, some of which are not chosen, right? After all, like not everybody can have children, you know, and I think one of the things that I love Illich for is this, um recognition of the centrality of tragedy in human life do you know what I mean like I think we have a society that thinks oh well if somebody wants something they should have it but it's not the case right what we what we should have is a society that um permits the expression of sad feelings and recognizes those where people cannot get what they want Mm -hmm. which is which is uh most people some of the time and (laughs) for some people life you know what I mean like and and sometimes life is very tragic like you know if you want children but you can't have them or for whatever reason you know I and I think we need more kind of culture and more recognition of these sorts of um situations so so that it's not always like just demand it's not just like oh I can't have a baby therefore like I must have a surrogate or something you know right or yeah I can't have everything I think in the consumer society you're told like you can have anything you want Right. And there's no price to it. I mean, there's just a cost, a, a cost, a financial cost, but there's no pr- like, there's no right. you know, cost to that. I mean, like, think about the, the, the immense cost of like, for example, I know some women who think it's deeply unfair that they have to ch- carry a child. They think that's unfair. Mm-hmm. So then they just have a surrogate, but it's like, well, the, I mean, well, you're just outsourcing the cost to somebody else's body. If you think it's unfair, how do you justify doing it to another woman? You know? Yeah, of course. And and like also the child, you know, the child has a relation to the maternal body and like, you know, you're severing these, t- you're making these things like, you know, ext- I think are setting up people for all kinds of trauma later on, you know, or, or it's, it's, it's like uh, incredibly unfair to presuppose that your desire is more important than someone else's life right um I mean it's like horrific so so I think we need to I don't know have a have a more of a kind of generosity I think for a recognition of 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 you know potentially tragic positions right or like I mean (laughs) or recognize that in the life course there are difficulties there are things you can't have and that's part of like being a human and, and accepting yeah. and having grace and having, um, you know, taking on any responsibility comes with some things that limit you. You know, I remember having a conversation with a friend who um, was horrified that I was nursing my baby and could only stay at X number of hours <laughs> until I had to either pump or go back to her. I mean, my body's connected to her. I mean, I needed to nurse. I mean, this is what my body's for. This is what, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. sort of, so, but I mean, how horrible that you have this limiting factor to your hangout lunch, you know, it's like, no, it's not really horrible. It's fine. It's worth it. Um, yeah. 
it's kind of in fantasy of infinity or the unlimited you know and it our bodies are not like that you know whatever you choose to do with them you're, you're limited it's like you know first of all we're finite you know and I think we also live in in societies that sort of don't really confront death you know I think a lot of the coronavirus stuff was like a panic about the reality of death you know it's like all the societies went completely pathological right you know uh, because they're unable to sort of deal with this like natural fact somehow like we've yep. become so institutionalized and so hygienic that we can't really like handle death somehow you know like there's something psychoanalytic going on like oh I know that, the thing that I keep coming across I think when I yeah, every time I talk about something positive I I just and and I see this on Twitter too um because the whole Doomer Optimist crew is about like thriving despite right and so yeah. people are po posting things like you know um this <laughs> friend of mine uh William Wheelwright is posting you know if every American had a garden um you know we we wouldn't have to have industrial agriculture anymore and everyone's dunking left and right like how dare he think that we should have gardens and have chickens like what servitude and what backbreaking labor and all, and all this stuff and I really honestly think the underlying issue is that there's like this um this celebration of the death drive i mean it's like mm -hmm. there's no other explanation for it that i can come up with it's like this you celebrate cultural celebration of you know the antinatalist death drive like there's no yeah. reason to exist i don't know how to get out of bed every morning like doom scrolling you know stuff um wait okay so I, i'm we're getting too doomer let's go back uh, optimism um Okay, so for the for the but I, no, but I think they're linked. They're linked. They are, like they I are. think the acceptance of death is optimistic. Actually, I think there is a form of it's a it's a it's a it's a rational and spiritual position to have, which is is actually profoundly optimistic. If you so, I mean, like I think to accept that that one is limited and one is mortal is actually extremely like positive because it means that you no, know, I don't know. For a lot of the ancients, it's like. Uh, you know learning learning how to die and learning how to live are the same things in certain ways like if you if you accept um i suppose i don't know how to put it it's like um if you feel like